Hello, and welcome to NeuroCurious, a podcast about all things brain, body, mind, and culture, not necessarily in that order. I'm Deborah Budding, joined by uh, Jamie Jones and Peggy Schaefer, and today we're back. We've been we've been away for a few weeks, uh, doing various things in our lives, but we're back, and we're also back with new audio equipment, so mm-hmm. we're very excited to see whether it actually works this time. <laughs> Experimenting. <laughs> it's always something new. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just the three of us today. We don't have any guests with us and, um, we're going to focus on discussing, uh, neurodiversity and diagnosis kinds of issues with people, both, uh, with adults and with children and some ways to think about how to go about doing that. Some things to be keeping in mind with it. Um, we're also going to, um, pause to mourn. Muhammad Ali, who passed away yesterday, and we're all very sad, but I'd like to think of him dancing in heaven with Prince, because uh-huh. that makes me happier to yeah. think about than the fact that he's visual. gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so so let's uh, jump in. Oh, well, the other thing we're going to talk about today is sort of announcing and, and describing the organization that sort of is the... The main reason that we're doing NeuroCurious um, is uh, Sensory Motor Foundations, which is a um, uh, an organization that we're starting to provide services to people and to provide training as well, but also services. So, but we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so let's roll. Let's roll. Well, I think you guys run into more of the diagnosis piece when mm-hmm. you when you have the the pleasure of. Yeah. Providing that information. Um, and in my case, often the first person. Like yeah. Deb and I were joking this week about how, why am I always that person that tells yeah. people their kid's diagnosis. Right. Well, especially when the the child is older. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, I mean, Jamie sees very Right. I mean, kids, when, when the child's three, of course I am. But yeah. when, you know, the child but is I, 10, you know, 11, I 12. See, I see kids seven and up. Sometimes I'll see a six-year-old. But, um, but when I'm seeing somebody who's 15 and nobody's mentioned that they're on the autism spectrum, uh, you know, up to that point, it's, it's fun. It's well, it's, it can be, you know, it can be really awesome. I think it could be relieving actually. Very much so for, yeah. And then, but so one of the things we wanted to talk about is sort of the difference between um, talking about this material with parents Mm -hmm. versus um, talking about it with the the child or adolescent Mm -hmm. and, you know, helping to guide parents about doing that for when they do it. Right. Um, And it's a sensitive issue. And in part, it's sensitive because uh, societally, Mm -hmm. um, we don't really live in a world that's particularly embracing of any kind of difference from, you know, white, male, Mm -hmm. cis, heterosexual Mm -hmm. expectations. Right, and there's a difference even in the the context of the actual diagnosis itself. I mean, if I run into a client with ADHD, we talk about it very openly. Yeah. Right? But then the second that ASD, autism, comes into the picture, it's like, uh uh-oh, let's not mention those words, let's not talk about it. So even within the scope of diagnoses, there's a difference um, in how it's handled. Right. Well, and I think part of that is the history of autism, right? And right. all of the emotional triggering associations people have to mm-hmm. the word mm-hmm. and what it means to be autistic. Right. Um, and I think the fear that, you know, parents experience when they hear that word because, you know, they think 
that very incorrect, as I like to call it, the, the poster child for autism who looks like very few people who actually have autism right. or who are autistic. Um, and so people do get scared. Mm-hmm. And, and we can thank Autism Speaks in large part for this. We can, Well, and, and a lot of the history, yep. you know, we can thank Lovas for it, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, there's, right. there's oh, a long, Lovas, ugly yeah. history. Um, and so I am always really cognizant of how anxious some parents get at the possibility mm-hmm. of, you know, what I call the A word. Mm-hmm. And I have yeah. a lot of conversations with families I work with about their relationship with the A word. And, you know, decisions about what and when to tell children, how to explain, like, what does it mean to be autistic? I mean, you know, and then the difference between what it means neurologically and what it means in terms of competency are two very different things. Very much. So it's a complicated conversation, which is why I'm really glad that we decided to talk about this today. Mm and it's so. It's also very intersectional, right? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, there are cultural factors absolutely. that go into oh, yes. it, and uh, religious differences, mm-hmm. and how various diagnostic categories are considered within different religious traditions. Absolutely. Um, and also the gender piece of you know autistic males look different than autistic females, right? Right, and the poster child for autism is. A boy, yeah. right. right, right, and so you know, it's, white boy, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, and also, I mean, we don't, we, I don't think we probably talk about this much today, but 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 the gender issue in terms of non-binary kids, yeah, right. fluidity. I, mm-hmm. I see a lot of non-binary kids, mm-hmm. and, and the um, Vistamar had a, a really great uh, gender symposium last week that mm-hmm. I went to that the mm-hmm. LA Gender Center did, and. So um, um, I just wanted to chime in that Vistamar yeah. is a wonderful private school. It's a high in, school. It's a yeah. high school in the South Bay for yeah. people that are like, what's Vistamar? What's Vistamar? Yes. Right. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, doesn't everybody live in the That's South right. Bay of Los That's Angeles? Right. For those of you that don't know what Vistamar is. Um, uh, no, Vistamar is a really wonderful, um, I'm almost, like, I hate using the word progressive now that, that we've, we've ruined it. It's been ruined. Mm. Right. <laughs> that we, we white people have ruined the right. word progressive. Right. Um, but it is. It's a. It's a very nice school. But um, uh, Joanna Olson Kennedy is a, a physician who does a lot of work with non-binary and, and transgender kids. And one of the things she talked about was they did a, a gender one-on-one component, right? And one of the things they talked about was language. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how like it's super annoying to refer to somebody as transgendered, right? Right. Right. Um, and she said, for example, would you call someone Asian? Right. Which I thought was a really good, yeah, yeah, good way to, to think good about way. it. And, and so, in, in talking about this in terms of neurodiversity issues, right. um, the difference between saying somebody is autistic versus right. somebody who has autism. Right. I mean, I tend to switch back and forth a little bit between the two because I know people who kind of prefer one or the other. Right. But right. In, in my experience, most people I know on the spectrum prefer to use autistic yeah yeah um and for me when i work with people i ask people their preference it's like yeah. how how do you think about this what's your relationship with the word how do you prefer to be addressed mm-hmm. um you know i think it makes sense to ask people you know with regard to gender and ethnicity it's like wh- how do you call yourself right and right. it's interesting too um in most of the non-speaking community i would say at least in my experience they refer to autism in the third person Yes. Just like they refer to their bodies in right. the third person. Right, my, my so, autism. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so, um, 
you know, if there's something that's coming up when they're communicating through typing or what have you, alternative communication strategies, they'll refer to it as my autism. Mm -hmm. um, so there's numerous ways to get around the issue or talk about it, but it's, you're right, it's person-driven. Absolutely. And, um, and I think should be. Absolutely, yeah. and it's up to us to listen to that. Yeah. Um, and have a conversation about it, which kind of goes back to this societal thing of, the fear of talking about autism and oh my goodness let's not say it well and I think the fear of talking about a lot of things um you know I was thinking this morning you know I shared with you guys before we turned the mics on that I mean I have a way of talking about autism that's very developmentally sort of based depending you know considering I work a lot with little kids that's really about talking about things at a level people can understand mm -hmm. right? right so I have conversations with little kids all the time about being autistic. I rarely call it that. Mm -hmm, right. You know, I talk about sticky brains mm -hmm. and, you know, thinking sticky in boxes. awesome. Yeah, yeah it is. right? Because so for really those of you that are like, what, what the heck is a sticky brain, right? So <laughs> sticky brain is a term, a made-up term, I confess, um, for kids who have a hard time transitioning, who get stuck, yep. right, yep. who yep. have the shift problems that we would refer to more professionally. Yeah. Um, but it's a term little kids can relate to, and they can own that. Yeah, and know? it works across multiple categories. Absolutely. Because I work with kids who aren't on the spectrum but have more kind of an OCD mm -hmm. style. Absolutely. Um, and with ADHD, you can still have sticky brain if you're, yep. you know, for example, your medication hasn't kicked in and you're hyper-focusing <laughs> on perhaps what you're going to have at your next meal, something like that. Right. <laughs> you know, hypothetically. There you go. Um <laughs> I know. It's like we we, we, pro we promised we would not laugh as much today. Okay, but we're not we're not capable. We're not we're not capable of not laughing. Um, so I, I think it's interesting, and, and I you know the whole conversation about when and what to tell your children. I've like talked to a lot of parents. It's like, oh my god, do I tell them they're on? And it's like, well, why wouldn't you? Right, right, but time and place. But how? But how, but how do you do it? Right, time and place. Because it's not like a dirty secret that you're right. hiding from them. That's right, and that's the part. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, uh, again, depending the age of the person you're working with, right, that that makes a difference. But, Absolutely. But working with the parents, especially for younger kids, in terms of their internalized ableism mm -hmm. is really important. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of it is is about the, the parents' discomfort with it. Correct. and. And I end up saying a lot, look, I'm not somebody who thinks that autism spectrum diagnosis is a bad thing. Right. <laughs> right. So, right. you know, I'm not somebody who thinks being neuroatypical is a bad thing. It's a thing. bad thing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a great thing in a lot of ways, especially when a person has access to accommodations and supports. Right. Right. Um, well, it's, it's the superpowers, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah. I talk with the kids I work with all the time about the superpowers of having a variety of neurodiverse brains, right? That there are superpowers of being autistic. Okay. The hyper focus, you know, people that I know on the spectrum get things done that I could never get done because yep. I don't have that hyper focus. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, the just you know the creativity, yes. the ability to, you know, feel the room, uh -huh. right? And you know, uh -huh. you may not be so good at picking up details and describing details, but right. to read the room and feel the room. Um, so there's superpowers, you know, there's, there's pros and there's cons. Right. Um, and walking that line, I think, and helping parents walk that line in terms of not minimizing disability. Correct. Right. You know, um, it's hard, it, it's hard, but it's also worth doing. Yes. And, yes. and it's worth 
that conversation just like to me like talking about race somebody everybody should do especially white people Mm -hmm. should be talking about race and thinking about race and thinking about how their race impacts them um thinking about socioeconomic status thinking about gender thinking about sexuality this is this isn't being politically correct this is living in a society with other human beings and trying to operate in a way that makes room for lots of different people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and also allows for conversation and allows for making mistakes I I talk to a lot of people who get very afraid um, whether whether they're in a situation where they're um, talking to people who have different operate in different areas of intersection Mm -hmm. than them right whatever whatever it is and they get nervous if they're going to, you know, quote unquote, say the wrong thing, and then people are going to get angry, and then, oh my God, they might correct them, and then they can have hurt feelings, which, as we all know, will kill you. Um, I've heard that. So, <laughs> I'm dead you know, then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but but it, but I really do think that those like social fear of social misattunement, I think, really right impedes but, discussion. Yeah. And that yes, and I think that that's a, a good distinction to make between those who have a. Uh, a discrimination mindset versus those who have a fear-based mindset of oh, right. hurting somebody else. And I think yeah. that that's good for everyone to sort of be attuned to because you cannot say something for many reasons. Right. You can have many reasons that are driving your behavior or what you're doing. Right. And right. how don't you're t- not dealing don't with Don't tell it. the ABA lobby that, please. Okay. Whatever you do. I'll try to refrain. <laughs> I don't really interface with them much. Um, oh, by the way, Jamie's wearing a non-compliance as a social you know, I was skill say, t-shirt. I mean. I am. I did it intentionally. I like it, and I think it also speaks to Muhammad Ali, which we can get yes. to yes. as well. Yeah, he was. He had well, a great social skill. I yes, he did. And so this and people, this was for and that. just wait for the whitewashing. Mm-hmm. By yep. the way, oh, of right, course, because yeah. he you know is, transcends race apparently right. Right. from what I hear, which would absolutely enrage him. Mm-hmm. I think uh, yes. you know people are speaking about it that way. Mm-hmm. What and religion and religion absolutely and religion yes. definitely. Yeah, he didn't um, go with the flow. No. Nope. Uh, anyways, back, so, to, back to the topic. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is, is we tend to live in this society that's all about having a conversation, mm-hmm. right? It's like have a conversation with your child right. about their... Sit down. Right, sit right. down. It's time to have, have the this, talk. Yeah. Have this really... It's like, we, we right. do so the, Monday we're having the talk about sex. Right. Tuesday, Tuesday we're, we're having, having to talk, talk about, about your diagnostic. diagnostic. Right. <laughs> right. And so I was Then thinking, we're done. Right. And so I was thinking about, like, in the world according to me... <laughs> really wish the world was according you to me. It's get not that on a shirt. I want that yeah, on a shirt. Yeah. In the world according to me. I mean, in the world according to me, it would be much less of a big deal. Right. We would talk yes. to kids about their neurology, like how I wish people would talk to people about sex, which is kind of answer their questions. Uh-huh. Right. Like start the conversation when they're two, uh-huh. so that by the time they're teenagers, it's like a natural conversation right. and nobody gets freaked out and people don't. You start don't. Doing you don't start things. talking about consent when your kid's on their way to college. No. You right notice this even as as parents of younger children, uh, anatomy. Yes. You notice it in the reference of anatomy, sexual yes. anatomy, and it is really funny yeah. to listen to all the names that people come up Right, and they yeah. can't, well, and it's just, you know, so my oldest, and, and he knows, I tell this story to my human sexuality kids, so he, he would be comfortable with me sharing this. Before he went to school, he had a penis. Uh-huh. Like, the boy had a penis. He came home from school after he started preschool with a wee wee right i'm like what the heck right he's like well mom that's what everybody calls it like nobody calls it a penis it's like that's its name but that's what it is i'm like no it's a penis (laughs) like like 
Like, I, it's, like, not my problem that people are not comfortable saying that word. That's right. And so the same can be said for diagnoses, yeah. but driven by the individual as well. Right. So, well, and also, I mean, there's the, the issue of diagnosis is tricky only insofar as there are so many DSM diagnoses. And, right. And some of them I use and some of them I don't. I think we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. I don't diagnose people with oppositional defiant disorder. Um, even okay. though it's technically a diagnosis, but I can't locate it in the brain, so I don't use it. Yeah. Well, and I, I have not purchased DSM-5, which most people who know me know, and I'm refusing to purchase another DSM until that's gone. Yeah. Because it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, you So know, there's sort of using diagnoses as sort of labels and also as ways to access services. Right. But mm-hmm. there's also, like, ways you understand sort of diagnoses and what they mean. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, and I think an important conversation to have with families is what's the purpose of diagnosis? Right. Like, how how does it help to know this word, right? Does it help get services? Then we should absolutely use it. Does it help understand what's going on and guide treatment? Then we should absolutely use it. Is it a label that we hide behind or use to say, oh, we don't have to help that person because they're autistic and there's no hope for them? Right. Then, like, throw it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Or schools that say, oh, yeah, we don't schools, service. Exactly. So we don't service autistic right. children. I'm like, have you met your population? Right. Like, have you met the students at your school? Mm-hmm. Like, so maybe the way I use autism spectrum and the way you're using it are not the same. Right. right? Which I think is very much the case. Uh, yes. I think that the uh, autism spectrum in particular, I mean, we're using, we're, we're focusing more on autism spectrum just because it's the thing, the thing that seems to be hot button for people. But it used to be that way with ADHD. Yeah. Yes. I mean, currently yeah. now... Um, I was thinking about this actually at the at the the gender training, how somebody was talking about their you know talking with their kids saying, oh, who's, who's trans saying, oh, couldn't you just be gay, <laughs> you know, right. right, right, and it's almost like, and I was almost thinking about the like the difference between you know ADHD and, right. and right. Autism, autism spectrum, right, right, right. Yeah, you know, like couldn't you just there. have yeah. ADHD, it, yeah, right, yeah. and yeah. but before, yeah. You know, like it was so shaming. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, for speaking for myself, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. like there was nothing worse because there was nobody unless you did not speak and you flapped and spun, mm-hmm. you were right. not diagnosed with autism. Correct. Right. But um, and with ADHD, if you were a boy and you were turning over tables and flunking out of school, you had ADHD. If you were a girl and were I don't know, maybe kind of a space cadet and lost things all the time, you were flighty. <laughs> You know? Right, and spacey, because that's just a normal girl thing. Right. So I've heard. Yeah, and chatty. Especially in blondes. Don't forget chatty. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard teacher, teachers yeah. have said that to me. Yeah. Oh, they, they're, they're just spacey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, because girls are supposed to be spacey. ADHD like, people get a lot of lazy, mm-hmm. too. Oh, absolutely. So, um, underachievers. So, yeah. But yeah. but it's not, con- I mean, it used to be considered highly, highly, highly shaming. And it's and it's not so much anymore, Um in, in a way that autism spectrum seems to be. But I think also what you're hitting on here is, is kind of what we always go back to, which is until ASD is viewed as a movement disorder, right? it will be shamed right. because it will be placed in this behavioral category right. um, that will take away the needs, at, or looking at it from that perspective. Right. Um, and I think that ADHD has had a shift in the way that people think about it over time. And, um, and people tend to think about it more as a movement disorder. Uh, yeah. Right? Right. 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 And, and intention that, programs. I mean, correct. ADHD is, is almost 100% about intention programs. So. And so when that, is hap- when that has happened within that diagnosis, 
now we need to see this start to shift with ASD. And yeah. I mean, that kind of gets us off topic here a little bit, but I think that But that's overall, why we're doing sensory motor foundations. Exactly. Is a, is a well, way right. To and I, I was just going to say, I don't think it gets us off topic at all. I think that's, that's why we're doing sensory motor foundations, right? Because, right? you know, in the world, according to me, somewhere down the line, it won't be a shaming thing to have, you know to be autistic, to have an autism spectrum disorder. Well, and I think the thing Or that, to have ADHD, that, or learning disabilities, or Tourette syndrome. Or, or, or anything, right? And to, right. to accept that people learn in a variety of different ways, and it doesn't yeah. mean you're dumb, right? I mean, that's like a great sadness of mine, is all the kids that we work with that do have learning differences, that before that's identified mm-hmm. and before that's, you know, intervened, they just think they're stupid. Right. So we've got a whole lot of really bright kids out there who think they're stupid because they write differently, they read differently, whatever it may be. Well, and and to, again, the the term stupid ends up being used in kind of an ableist way, but it made me think about the the kids with intellectual disabilities who have communication difficulties, right. who are not presumed to be competent in many ways that they are, mm-hmm. and aren't given support. I mean, one of the this week was kind of a depressing week for me. Um, one. But please, God, I do not want to have to go to another IEP for a while. Um, but two, yeah. oh, I did a school. Yeah, I did a school observation at, for a, you know a large school district that has huge variability in terms of um, monetary access mm-hmm. in different parts. Mm-hmm. And this particular school did not it does not have much in terms of, of resources, even though it's in a district that's very large and, and very wealthy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to observe this one child who somebody had incorrectly diagnosed as having intellectual disability, but not autism, mm-hmm. when this child is very clearly autistic and mm-hmm. also, and, and very competent, but but has huge communication challenges. Right. And is not being provided any communication support does not have an iPad, does not, and gets speech and language services, right? But is not being taught any kind of assisted or augmented communication. Right. And when I went to go observe in the classroom, there was a classroom filled with students with communication challenges, and none of them had access to any kind of assisted communication technology. Mm-hmm. None. Um, it was depressing. I mean, it was just really thinking you know how one trying to convince people you know because of all the brouhaha with what's happened with like facilitated communication Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know that the ways that that's been poorly used or Mm -hmm. misused and poorly understood um there isn't enough access to communication support right and and again if people aren't viewing movement problems as a, a huge component of of all kinds of neurodevelopmental disorders, the idea of providing that kind of communication support doesn't make sense to people. But you know about Emma, Emma's Hope book, right? Uh, yeah. The, I think I sent you the thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm wondering if it's the same person I know, but I'm not it's sure. It's not. Okay. It's a different, yeah. it's a different okay. person. But, yeah. um, but um, this is somebody who has great difficulty speaking, right. but, but but types independently mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is incredibly um, just writes beautiful things and, and very thoughtful things, mm-hmm. you know. But but says basically, you know, my mouth doesn't work. Right. <laughs> my mouth doesn't right. work to right. to, to d- express what's happening in my head. And and for a very long time, people really didn't believe this was true. 
Well, they because, and I'll tell you, uh, at least from my perspective, the reason why people do that is because, well, look, they are talking. Right. Look. They're, they're, they're not completely they're, nonverbal. Uh, right. Look at their, why, why, is, why is he or she talking about Peter Pan? Right. Like, if they can't talk, I don't get, right? Yeah, right. so those are the little nuances that... Like, and understanding scripting and the uses oh, of scripting. absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a very big problem. And so if we keep getting stuck in thinking of this as she or he is choosing to talk about Peter Pan incessantly... Um, and that there's no purpose behind it, or that there's all the purpose behind it, right? Yep. Then it becomes a problem, and people yeah. are labeled right. ID. Right, right. Well, and also are labeled non-compliant and uh-huh. are um, given, um, I mean, there's still the, there was a big discussion this week about the uh, behaviorist conference that was happening that was um, sponsored by the, um, I keep calling it <laughs> Judge Reinhold as, Center. As, as I saw yeah. deeply. The Judge Rottenberg. Rottenberg. Yeah. Yeah. Not the Judge, Judge Reinhold Center. No. no. Um, but there's this discussion. I mean, even uh, Real Social Skills was, was talking about this on, on Twitter, uh, um, going through, um, they, they did the ethical standards. They redid them again and made them even more vague. Yes. Um, of ABA, you're saying? Yes. Yep. Um, and so the ethical standards, from what I could tell looking at it, are basically made to be as vague as possible and to be able to say we have ethical standards. Of course. That are, from what I can tell, entirely unenforceable, which is sort of like school districts taking away kids' IEPs and giving them 504 plans instead. Right. right. So that they don't have to be enforced. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that, again, it's, it's, it's complex. It, it's complicated if there is not a sensory motor approach. Right. It, it, for me, when my paradigm shift changed, when I started looking at it this way, I, I got answers to things that I wasn't able to get answers to before. Right. In well, a way that was compassionate right. and empathetic right. and supportive. Right. And that, right. you know, that not all behavior has meaning. Right. right. <sighs> but... And and some behavior has meaning that you're misinterpreting. Yeah, yeah right. that you can't possibly that you can't know. Presume. But it but it matters. And and I think the thing that bothers me about certain kinds of behavioral approaches is that on the one hand, the idea that the meaning behind a behavior doesn't matter. To some degree, that's true. Mm-hmm. Sort of like intent doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you are engaging in harmful behavior and mm-hmm. it wasn't your intent. Okay, mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. But it, right. So yeah. So. Uh, there's a level at which the meaning behind behavior doesn't matter, but there's also a level at which it very, very much matters. And, uh, and yeah. you, can, you can do both. Like, you can, you know, you can, you can taste great and be less filling at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, here's an example this week. Um, there was a guy who came in this week, and I've, he's a relatively new client. And he's, try, he's also working with speech pathology and trying to turn on his voice and get this stuff going. And he makes this motion in his head, in his um, body, that would make someone think he's trying to talk, right? So he opens his mouth and he makes sort of a, an airy sound out of his mouth. And I, I was watching it and I was having to think about it for a, probably over a week or so. And I'm like, this is, okay, yeah, he could be, it could be a stuck loop of a, of a motion or a movement or whatever. Come to find out, he has reflux. Yep, yep. And he is trying to relieve the pressure in his stomach, but he cannot, because he has sensory issues as well and sensory motor issues, he can't determine what the pain is and the discomfort is. So he has been sitting in this discomfort for quite some time. And 
all along, it's been de in, determined that he is trying to talk every time yep. he makes this sound. Now, if we don't yep. understand these components and understand, and he communicates through typing. Yeah. But he still, with typing, can't tell us where the discomfort right. is. Right, right, But they started a medication uh, to help him with the GERD and changed a couple of things in his diet and then went on. So, and now people think he doesn't want to talk anymore? Well, no, because we've got him in a good treatment plan yeah. and they understand. But yeah. that that is a problem. And so when we can't, when we, especially in the non-speaking community, don't yeah. have access to having a conversation with somebody about these things or problem solving with other professionals who see it in the same way. Right. Which kind of guides us into the right. SFSMF. I can never say that. Well, this it's is the thing that, I know. That, that's, it's so, a tricky acronym. that's yeah. so hard for me when I go to IEPs. Is is trying to communicate with people? About, like there's so yeah, much that's hard about many. going to an IEP. And I'm just like, who is training you? Who is training you to think about things? Because I mean, one, a scale score of seven is not average. No, it is not. Okay, okay say like, more about that. Okay, so um, say say as much so, as you can about that. Well, yeah. So, okay, so yeah. scaled scores are scores on a lot of cognitive measures okay. that have... Cognitive and speech and language measures. Right. It's, okay. it's, it's, mis, it's misused by speech and language people... A lot. ...even more than school psychologists. Okay. Well, right. but which would make sense because they don't have the background in tests and measurements and statistics and... And yet they're they using the tools and making diagnoses well, that's and another plans. podcast. But that's yeah. something so, else that I want to hit on, too, real yes. quickly here. Speech and language pathologists are not just speech and language areas. They also address cognition. Right. right. Okay. Well, supposedly, they Supp think so. They, well, right. that's within their domain. I'm right. saying that, that, like, if you go into a rehab hospital, they work on attention and focus in place of occupational therapy. Right? Often, okay. yes. And I don't know about in the school districts. And, but and auditory processing correct. disorder instead of so attention it, problems. Right. So it's not just what they're saying. They're also... Yes. Within their scope. Okay, so that's why I'm saying yeah. if and you're going to talk about cognitive measures, why are we saying speech language? That's right. why. Okay. Um, right. And right. So <laughs> sorry. And, yeah. No, and and the and the awkward silence was, you know, that's that's a whole other debate about. Of course. What and so and, and also you doing. have to understand that Jamie and I are both neuropsychologists. We've both taught graduate and right and undergraduate right. classes. Jamie's done more undergraduate. I tried teaching graduate and gave up. Um, but yeah, but, I mean, for me, as someone who has a strong background in tests and measurements, to see you know the measurements misused drives me crazy. Okay. But so, anyways, a scaled score is a score that has a mean of ten, which okay. means if you're dead on average, who the heck that is, you know, they would have a scale okay. score to ten, and a standard deviation of three. Okay. Right. So oh, in general, anything that's below one standard deviation below the mean and one standard deviation above the mean mm -hmm. is considered average okay. right it's a broad average it's from right. 25th percentile to 75th percentile mm -hmm. but average mm -hmm. right so 8 9 10 mm -hmm. average mm -hmm. i would even call 8 like low fishy. average well, we call fishy. It, we call 8 fishy fishy okay. globally average grossly i mean i usually yeah. put in some low kind, end of the average low end of the average right. okay 7 is a full standard is deviation is a full below standard deviation below is below average but i i've sat in multiple iep meetings where i've had people try to tell me that a score of seven is average and it means they're fine. And I have had to keep myself from lunging across the table okay. to shake them and say, why are you seeing children? Right. Um, well, because if you, I mean, it's also just from a percentile basis, 16th percentile. Right. Right. And so like, you want to tell me that someone who's functioning at the 16th percentile instead of the 50th mm -hmm. is doing okay. Right. No, they're not. <laughs> 
And why yeah, but do then you we guys have to provide think... services for them, that, okay, and we so, don't want to. Right. Okay, so that's where I was going to go. Why but we're going to say, but it's not this. that. Like, in the, And I get told that in meetings a lot. Well, it's not that we of don't want not. to give of services to this of child. Not. Of course not. They just don't need it. They just don't need it. Right. So mm-hmm. that is so that is where you guys would sit in terms of like the the interpretation of why someone would argue with you about that has to do with services. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. They would never admit that. No. But, no, and I'm not saying they would, yeah. but I'm saying in but, yeah. your opinion. Or I'm what's not considered for, and what's considered yeah. impaired. Or when somebody has right. a lot of impaired scores, but they say, Oh, but they're getting A's and B's. Right. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, to which I always laugh and say that may say more about your level of giving people A's and B's right. than right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this person's function. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many factors at play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but, but when people are not trained with a kind of from a sensory motor mm-hmm. perspective in, uh-huh. in terms of neurodevelopment, it's much easier to have a mind-body split, yes. right? And to think about cognitive function as being completely disengaged Mm -hmm. from movement Mm -hmm. and from action. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can say, I mean, I help train Harbor UCLA people, and I can tell you they are definitely trained to understand aspects of sensory motor development. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, even, I mean, Matt Wright and I joke around about how, you know, cortex rules, no, it doesn't. Right. (laughs) But... (laughs) You know, but he, you know, but he understands that that there. He has no choice but to understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he made the decision to let me help train people, so it's really on him. You're stuck. Um, but, you know, but but I think that that we do a disservice to people who are learning to do clinical application if we're not being current. And like, even within neuroscience, there's still variability, and a lot of people right. aren't. You know, I just saw another reference to large-scale brain network explaining things and had to had to say hmm, something's missing here mm-hmm. right and people are like what? what's missing the cerebellum there's no cerebellum it's large-scale brain network right um but again it's really easy to leave the cerebellum mm-hmm. out frankly if you don't have a sensory motor well, development yeah, well, it's hanging out there at the back for, anyways right, it's not it's even all for, part it's of for the movement, brain right? <laughs> right it's just all it is is for movement because you know what do you need movement what do you need for movement other than for? to adapt and live on the planet Right. But I also think for me, if you think about most, you know, neurodevelopmental issues is a sensory motor issue, it takes the stigma out of it. Right. Right. It it's totally like, does. It's, it's just right. the way right. your brain and your body That's work together. Right. It's not something you did wrong. It's not you had a bad parent. Right. It's just the way your body works. I love Ann Donnellan's um, description of the words that are used between the neurodegenerative community yes. and the neurodevelopmental community. So if you have rigid movement or discoordinated movement, uh, you have ataxia, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But if you have a neurodevelopmental need, you are noncompliant. Right. No. Or disorganized or right. whatever you want to call it. Right. Well, and even, even within that world, the jargon is annoying. Sure. Right? Of so, course. So, yeah. you know, you have apraxia, but, right? Oh. Which means you can't do stuff. <laughs> But but it even gets no. I, I know right. No, but it, like, but it even gets more um, isolated to you have apraxia of speech, right? right to which right. I go, what? no, no, you you have you apraxia have full of body apraxia, right? We're just all like, apraxia, right. Everything. Right. We're just paying attention to the motor part, but we're, or the but, speech part. But it sounds super fat. It does when you add ia oh, when you add ia to the end of it. My other fancy. favorite one. Well, I, I gotta should, put my I pinky should, up. Like I'm 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 gonna be like Patrick and have my fancy pinky up when I use those terms. But um, another one, yeah, sensory processing is another one. 
anyway, we're just going to say anywho. sigh. Um, and, no, I'm just going to sigh deeply. That's but what I'm but I think what 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 I love about the sensory motor, especially, what is what you just said, Jamie, is that it takes the 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 word. What's the word? Um, the shame out of it, and it take it makes it destigmatizes. Destigmatize. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, because it's such an issue, yeah. and if we just stop and look at these issues, it it's 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 a, there's a freedom to it. Yep. Right. Well, and also um, linking emotional function uh-huh. and arousal to movement is very important because yes. we talk about mental illness and we talk about depression and anxiety and right. Yeah. And um, with without really thinking about the like the whole mind body arousal uh-huh. issue, uh-huh. right? And um, one of the things I was just talking to um, a, a colleague the other day about a conference that's going to be coming up and one of the things they want to do is to have somebody who's going to be talking about polyvagal theory mm-hmm. and somebody um, hopefully Ann Donnellan talking mm-hmm. about again movement mm-hmm. perspective and mm-hmm. disorder diagnosis because these things are really important and because we don't have consistent ways of talking about it and training people about it right. we get we get the interactive metronome. We get these products. We get brain balance centers. We have like people selling products loosely based on things that are solid but are going around right. the usual scientific means mm-hmm. of finding out what is a useful intervention, mm-hmm. how do we operationalize things, how do we measure, how do we, if you want to be quote-unquote evidence-based, how do you go about doing that? Right. And if people aren't uniformly trained from a sensory motor neurodevelopmental perspective about how things are supposed to unfold mm-hmm. um, they can be like oh you need to do more cross body work you know here right. for only $15,000 you can right. come to our clinic right. and do practice right. cross body <coughs> instead of just saying take karate right. <laughs> or right. go to swimming or right, right? or swim um, yeah swimming's great so it, it to me one of the biggest problems with not having this kind of, of way that everybody is trained to think about things is that it provides a lot of room for quacky people to come up with something that sounds on the surface like it is correct and scientifically accurate. Well, it has the fancy word, sensory and it has the fancy or words. like midline or sensory processing. You know, they use these words and, you know. But I think also um, what you're hitting on about the emotional arousal thing is that with, and I don't know if we've done a very good job necessarily in the podcast of describing more of, of where these other areas, these other quote unquote domains fall into a sensory motor perspective. For instance, right. I love, um, I believe it's Len, you know, thought is movement without motion. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. This is Len Koziel who's yeah, Koziel. Um, helped to train both Jamie and I. Right. And that is profound because yeah. it is true, but I think something that we can maybe address in another podcast too is that vertically organized brain piece, but also why is sensory motor applicable to cognition, to emotion? Why? Right, but because it is central, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why yeah. do we have? Why do we have emotions? Right. What are they for? Mm-hmm. What are they signaling? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, how how do emotions move from? immediacy, mm-hmm. right, to having an, an immediate reaction to your environment mm-hmm. in one way or another, um, to more abstract thinking about the future or the past, right? Right. And, and how are they triggered? And this is at some point um, when Melanie McBride 
finishes her dissertation and has time. Um, you know, she's multisensory male. She, right. she, right. One of the things that's very interesting to me about her work is that that's her domain, mm -hmm. right? The sensory domain in terms of what it evokes, the emotions. Right. Right. Memories. memories. Why is memories movement, you know? And right. These, right. Are, these are questions that come up all the time, which I think sensory motor foundations will help to enlighten and, and integrate and into, integrate yes yeah. and, and that's why the focus so much when we decided to do this podcast was you know in part to to make ideas in neuroscience um more understandable right to, right. to the general public but also across areas of neuroscience i mean mm -hmm. the, one of the things that i i love about being on twitter even though i it aggravates me in in certain ways because it's twitter and people um, is the cross-validation in the scientific mm -hmm. community mm -hmm. right. because there are people communicating with each other who do completely different things, right. right? So there are people who do neuroscience in so many different areas, mm -hmm. and there are people who are doing astrophysics, you know, and who are talking to each other, right? right. And, and so it allows for kind of cross-pollination. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, and... Likewise, I think there are a lot of people who are in the general public who are um, consumers right. of services who would benefit from understanding more about what goes into the services they're getting, right? And to know whether just because somebody says a thing is evidence-based, right? Because that's the new hot word. Right. Everything right. has to be evidence-based. Right. But based on what, right? Um, well, so they that's, can pick and choose their evidence. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so again, again, I mean, we, we keep coming back to the autism community, but it's uh, one of the reasons we do is that it's such a, uh, it, it, there's so many issues in terms of access to care, what kind of care, mm -hmm. um, the, even between differences between ABA and floor time approaches mm -hmm. and people who integrate those things and coming up with different things, um, if you you have to start from somewhere mm -hmm. and and if your framework is one that is very disembodied um the way you treat behavior is going to be different inherently yeah th that's right i agree so but i mean you're you're fortunate in that the the area of intervention that you inhabit is very clearly and very coherently body focused yes so you're not fighting battles in that way other than fighting battles to be covered by insurance, for example. Right. Yeah, be covered by insurance and that it is, um, I would say that in terms of neuromusic therapy itself, there's a lot more work that needs to be done in research on spectrum as a movement disorder. I yeah. mean, we can take components of it from other diagnoses and apply it, but um, specifically with that clinical population with that, that mindset. Yes, that needs to um, grow. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, embodied work is critical. Right. I don't work with people on cognition or emotion specifically until we do body work. Right. 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 It's not going to happen. Well, and it's it's always kind of funny to me that people don't see spectrum as a movement disorder. Have you ever seen someone on the spectrum sit in a chair? Walk around or walk room. around the room. I mean, there are so many, you know, yeah. challenges yeah. with just moving bodies through right. space or right. not moving or them. not moving oh, bodies yeah. through space. And I always find yeah. it interesting the interpretations that then get met. 
I had right. a kid that I worked with that the because he slouched. Mm-hmm. You know, the interpretation was like, oh my goodness, he's depressed. Yes, yeah. right. uh, over right. interpretation. Yeah, right. or, sorry, or especially too, if you have uh, with movement problems, if you have in- initiation difficulties, and you know, like with Parkinson's. Uh-huh. You know, you've got masked facing, uh, right? Right. Uh, but if you're a kid, you're depressed, right? And you might be depressed you because might. when you're misunderstood constantly, that's depressing, <laughs> right? Exactly, but, right? Chicken you know, egg, yeah. But <laughs> but you could have core strength challenges. You could right. have movement, right? It's right. like, but no, you have resting B face, right? <laughs> right. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. So I think I think now would be a good time to kind of talk about. Sensory Motor Foundations, what is it? And in my fantasy of taking over the world yeah, and world, world domination. domination. Sensory Motor Foundation is Jamie's idea for <laughs> world domination. <laughs> you heard it here first. But, you but did. this really got initiated, this thinking, when we all got together and thought, we got to change some things here. <laughs> we got to change the world. And, and well, we're, well, first, well first, first, Jamie's like, we're moving offices. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So yeah. we can have space to have interns. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's been a bossy Jamie. Year. It's been like this is what we're doing. You all get on board because we are changing the world. The train is leaving. The train the is and for leaving me it's the a re- station. It's, for me, it's a relief because it, right. I like historically I'm like having to be like the bossy one, and for me to sit back, especially since my sister was killed, um, I have had you know difficulties yeah. being that. Yeah. So I'm like no, I'm just along for the ride, except for when I'm being bossy. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Right. You know, assert when needed. Yeah. Um. I yeah. I think. Um. Also, it was. It was. Uh. It was also driven by over the years people having um concerns about who to refer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. A so referral yeah. problem. So uh, that, yeah. yeah. And, and you know the the challenge in the South Bay where we all practice is a dearth of services, and so part of the the thought process between behind Sensory Matter Foundations is wouldn't it be lovely to have a place where people could come for all of those services we keep recommending in our mm-hmm. reports that don't exist locally. Right, right. You know, so social skills groups and neurologic music therapy, which then led to a conversation of, well, there's Peggy, mm-hmm. right? There's Peggy. Right. <laughs> so, like, Peggy is one person with a finite amount of time, you know, and there are a finite amount of people who seem to understand, at least currently, currently sensory yeah. motor thinking. And that's, yeah. So maybe we should do something to kind of help change that. Well, and, and also because well, Jamie is at a university um, teaching undergraduates, but she isn't like directly training clinical people to do what we do. I help train people at Harvard UCLA, but I'm not like full-time on staff there and I don't have individual supervisees Mm -hmm. so you know and we've both published Mm -hmm. in in this area and I'm on an editorial board for Mm -hmm. cerebellum and cerebellum and ataxias and that but there's still neither of us really has a lot of direct Mm hands-on training that we're doing with Mm -hmm. people and so how do we you know if what we want is to encourage more people mm-hmm. to understand this I mean not you know I, I, I appreciate having a busy practice but I don't like making people wait three months to come in and see me I would like to be able to have right you know um, more people who know how to do this absolutely well and I think um, I, I think also for for us it was well it's, I can speak for myself I can't speak for you guys but um, <laughs> it's also the assumption that this is of interest to people um, right I, I don't like to be super negative and think that nobody else thinks this way. I think it's more of that there's a desire to learn it. Yeah. 
not maybe by everybody, but there's a desire to learn it. There's not a way to learn it. No. That is being mentored through, right. like, having people mentor. Because many times I'll say, okay, read this book. Okay, read this. Listen to this. Right. But it's not a structured learning and integrative process. Right. And and, and it's not a um, multidisciplinary process. Right. right. Because one right. of the things that, that, that we all share, because we, we work together so much, is the... Um, that we, we all have very strong intersectional mm-hmm. views in, in terms of d- the world, mm-hmm. and we're all very, very passionate about multidisciplinary approaches mm-hmm. that you you have to come at a situation from multiple angles and multiple right. areas of expertise, but, but there needs to be some kind of shared language mm-hmm. that people right. are using mm-hmm. and a shared way of understanding the differing pieces that we're all working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think many, many people desire that. Yes. But it's but it's not um accessible enough. Right. Yeah, it's not accessible and um what popped into my head when you were saying that uh about that when we are how do I say this? It, the interdisciplinary team allows us to inform each other of right. different strengths and also that common language is a huge piece because you, I myself find in, in working with other professionals that I spend more time describing what I'm trying to describe. Right. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I'm trying to describe what this concept of the movement disorder piece is in a five-minute conversation when really I want to get to the point, which is that they're scripting f- because they're scripting. Right. But now I've got to go back. To talk about what is right. scripting, what is, what is scripting? it when I use What's it, right. and then right. we have to get all the way back to the beginning of the discussion of, well, if you're going to look at it like this, I'm looking at it as a movement disorder, so right. how do we, we change that? Right. I mean, one of my favorite things um, is when I'm on cases with uh, Win Win, who's mm-hmm. an occupational mm-hmm. therapist, who's a very special occupational mm-hmm. therapist. She's mm-hmm. really lovely. Um on the on the few occasions when I've been on a treatment team where Wynn's done an occupational evaluation, occupational therapy evaluation, and I've done a neuropsych assessment, we give the feedback together, right. and we start with her. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And she talks uh, all about the sensory motor function right. uh, of the child involved, and then I step in and say, okay, everything that, that Wynn just talked about, now we're going to apply this to their cognitive function, mm-hmm. to their executive function, mm-hmm. to their right. emotional regulation, mm-hmm. and you're going to see how these things are all connected, mm-hmm. right? And then the, the treatment team creates mm-hmm. treatment plans based on that, and we work with whoever's doing the medication, we work with whoever's doing behavioral support, and mm-hmm. and everybody gets to have an integrated view, and it just it's much more supportive for the family. And absolutely, and it works. And it, well, that's so much better. That's yeah, what that's what I'm saying. Is like there's so many approaches that that right. there are out there, and I'm not saying that one is necessarily better than the other. Um, pause, but yeah. um, a giant pause. But <laughs> but the thing is, is the reason why I feel passionately about the Sensory Motor Foundations piece is because I see it change things for yeah. people. Yep, I see taking that approach as a Full system, not just for the child or the individual, for the whole family. Yeah. Right, right. And for for ways that people can understand each other right. differently. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I think it it actually can reduce level of, of stress. Yes, absolutely. It's regulating for the entire system. Yeah. Well, because it's really helps decrease a family's stress level if you understand 
you know, the reasons your child is doing what they're doing. Right. Right. If you have a child who gets in your car at the end of the day of school and doesn't want to talk to you Mm -hmm. because they're dysregulated Mm -hmm. and needs a few seconds and exhausted from having to keep it together all day, it is a lot less stressful to your family system if you know that. Mm -hmm. And when they get in the car, can just leave them be for a couple minutes until they re-regulate rather than, you know, barraging them with, how was your day? And why aren't you talking to me? And you're being rude. Right. Because it makes, right. Right. And so there's that level of understanding that just takes the stress out of it. Right. And it's not, a very healing, soothing experience absolutely. for families when they can understand that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I see that all the time. Right. right. Well, and, and especially in in the world with people getting dysregulated and quote-unquote non-compliant, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, the, you know, when people talk about using aversives to stop self-injurious behavior, right? Sigh <laughs> like, like, and sigh Stop hurting again. yourself. Here, take this shock. Right. Um, stop hurting yourself. Let me do it for you. Yeah. Uh, um so again, if I have no words. So, I mean, the, the nice thing is there's so much research increasingly on monitoring arousal level, right? And right. there's, you know, watches, sensory watches that are being mm-hmm. developed to help mm-hmm. regulate mm-hmm. sensory well, regulation stuff. And, and and one of the things that is so important for me, you know, as we talk about neurodiversity and and people that are quote unquote neuro atypical which is a word I'm not really comfortable with, mm-hmm. is understanding that we all have levels at which we become overwhelmed. Right. Like whether we're on the spectrum or not, mm-hmm. we all have that point mm-hmm. where we're done. Mm-hmm. Right. And recognizing that, where that point is for each of us, is really important. Right. You know, Deb and I, we were joking recently about embrace your neurology, right? right. It's like, this is how my system works. These are the things that overwhelm me, mm-hmm. and I'm not doing it. Right. I personally will not watch scary movies. Mm-hmm. I get that people love them. Good for them. Right. But they are overstimulating to me, right. and I know that. So when people are like, hey, let's go see the... And I'm like, no. Like, have fun. Right. <laughs> right. But like, and it's okay that I don't right. want to go. And there's lots of different ways to... One of the things I'm, I'm looking forward to is um, uh, having Alfie Breland Noble on, who uh, does a lot of work with resilience and African-American teens... And does a lot of faith-based yeah. work, and, and and so the sensory motor approach, and also in the context of having an intersectional approach, um, I just I, it makes the world a much broader place and a place that is more, um, I think, welcoming mm-hmm. to difference. Um, it's a gift. Uh, Mm -hmm. for someone to walk up to someone else. I mean, I love it when I see kids who know their neurology and embrace it. Nothing makes me happier than watching a kid on the spectrum walk up to somebody and say, I really need my space. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, my heart grows so big because that is them advocating for themselves knowing that they're overstimulated right Right. now. They need space, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, well, but also to be able to walk up to an authority figure uh-huh. and say that and have it be respected. I know. Right, well, which is, again, brings to. back the training the training, training piece, piece yeah, right, for because, the other professionals. Because it's so authority. much of the, the, the difficulty is that parents and authority figures and you know, teachers, whatever, um, learn to step out of the way they've been trained mm-hmm. to think about what interactions mm-hmm. are supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. And 
think differently about it. You know? Well, and it's it's the difference between an awesome teacher and an okay teacher, right? Mm-hmm. right? And so one of the things I'm really hoping for Sensory Motor Foundation is that it becomes a place that's supportive of people but also empowering. I work with a cutie. He's older now, but when he was in first grade, had an awesome teacher who got that this was a kid who had regulation problems, needed to move his body to help regulate himself, and would allow him times during the day to get up and stand behind his chair and kind of dance Mm -hmm. and then sit back down when he could. Didn't distract her, didn't distract the class. That was their routine. And the little cutie knew enough about himself to know that's what he needed. Well, like Life Happens had a substitute one day, who found what he needed to do very distracting and came up to him and said, can't you just sit still? And he very calmly looked at her and said, no, I can't. My teacher knows that. Yep. And just like, you know, just like this is my reality. Mm -hmm. No, I can't. Sorry. Like, sorry, I can't. You can out of work. Right. 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 But but this is also the thing that, that, Again, we go back to, you know, we'll, we'll revisit this too, but, but looking at the idea of automaticity and um, deliberate mm-hmm. function, mm-hmm. right? To learn new things takes effort. And yeah, absolutely. Take, and you have to be deliberate, mm-hmm. deliberate and you have to override automatic stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the many reasons I find um, a, a world where Trump is a presidential candidate so horrifying is that I think he's trying whole, to give me nightmares again. Sorry, well, I mean, I just think his whole function <laughs> is, is on look, the the world is made for people like me, and I'm being asked to make accommodations and do things differently for people who aren't like me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to mm-hmm. join me, people who are mm-hmm. like me, against the people who are not like me, mm-hmm. and make them shut up mm-hmm. <laughs> and stop asking mm-hmm. to make room, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and creating a world where everybody can make room mm-hmm. for other people mm-hmm. without it feeling like it's taking something away mm-hmm. is it doesn't you know. have to be threatening no right? well it, it it's only threatening i was mentioned this the other day like if you're if if you don't buy into white supremacy <laughs> then the idea of changing demographics is not problematic in any way right, right? Mm-hmm. um so if, if you can believe that other people can have space without it taking away from you, or to the degree it takes something away from you, okay, that's okay. Take a knee, right? Right. Um, that That's the, the larger goal of, of having a, a, a world where everybody gets to exist and operate. Again, the downside to that is hard for me to see. But then, again, I wouldn't be somebody who would ever vote for Donald Trump and the fact that he's a candidate and not in jail, I'm still sort of incredulous about. Um, but it's going to be a pass. long, yeah, it's going to be a long six months. I know, we're just like, months. I have no words. <laughs> it's going to be a long six months. Yeah. So I, I guess, do we feel like we... I think we've... I think Sensory we, Motor I think Foundation. We've so we'll, we'll, we'll keep bringing it up and like where yeah. we are in our phase of development and yeah. the kind of stuff that we want to offer. I mean, I think the disciplines that we definitely want to offer services for our neurologic music therapy, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, neuropsychology, speech language pathology, educational therapy, educational educational therapy, therapy. which we're going to have a podcast on um, hopefully soon, uh, educational advocacy, educational advocacy, parent support, yep. Yeah. Um, Parent so support. Sort of our vision. Teacher training. Teacher training. Community leader Community training. Community leader training. I'm Police telling training. you, world domination. <laughs> Police training. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
so I think we'll just we'll keep touching on it as we go and and keep calling back to you know why the podcast is connected to that yeah. and, and where we're headed yeah and and, and, and again, Jamie's why, ideas for t-shirts yeah and why <laughs> yeah, that's it. our no, but, side business cute, yeah. but, cute, but also cute t-shirts why, to come why neuroscience is so important to this and we, we always are going to be winding back to Absolutely. neuroscience and bringing neuroscientists on yep. um in addition to other folks and um because it's it's important and mm-hmm. it's, it's important to have that that work integrated in um and we'll have gaming people on too because you know because cool. Well, <laughs> because I mean, of course, because we play games. And well, games because there is a place for that. There yeah. is a place, yeah. and yeah. and how about the appropriate use of gaming for self regulation, uh-huh. and yes. why it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Right. Right. How it, how it can be a bad thing, right. but how it can also be a tool. Right. 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 Speaking of that, what games have you been playing recently? Uh, before we go, I have other than Sailor Moon drops. Which, Sailor Moon drops yeah. is my new addiction. Um, finished Uncharted. Hmm. Um, still playing Witcher because mm-hmm. I keep getting distracted and playing other the, things. I can tell you new, what I'm not playing. The new ones. I'm not playing Dark Souls, which I still find very ugly. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I don't not, play it not because my I, thing. I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. It, yeah, it's it's not. Just it's, like I'm almost not at all playing Overwatch, even though I love it. It's a fabulous game. I am terrible at it. I well, I, yeah, I haven't played yet. Just got it yesterday. So, so all the people who have I, who, who have friended me on Battle.net, by the way, if you see me on, it's probably my son. That's right. I was right? going to say, for those of us that share accounts with our children, it may not be us but playing. You, if you think it's me, it, there's a it, possibility. If it's if it's Diablo, it might be me. Right. If it's if it's, if it's, Overwatch, if it's Overwatch and I'm doing well, it is not me. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've actually finally started playing the first Witcher um DLC. Ah. So I want to finish that before I start the new one. And I was resistant because Bill, of course, played it right away. And he's like, you have to play this. I'm like, I'm not ready to leave Siri yet. I'm sorry. I'm going to replay the original one. I again. know. Um, have you played any games? Peggy's looking at us like, I, you all, I don't know why you spend your time doing this because you have log boss. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It'll be so surprising to our so, listeners. So, no. so read anything good lately? I read some good articles. Um... I do audiobooks. Listen to good really music read. lately? Um, yeah. I'm liking Jason Isbell. Mm-hmm. I shared that. Mm-hmm. like his music. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's it for me. Polka dancing? No, no polka dancing recently. No. no. Well, there's all summer for that. There is. It's summer. Yeah. Woohoo! Oh, yes. oh, so beach, happy. Beach. So happy. Oh, can't wait. Favorite time of the year. It is. Yep. I will. So um, we're not sure. We think our next guest is probably going to be um, uh, Elizabeth Maynard talking about educational therapy, but we're not entirely sure when that's going to be. But we, it will we be are soon. currently in planning phase. Yeah, we're planning so our we... next episode. So we've got some really fun episodes and guests in line. That we just we have to hammer down. Finalize the times. that. So we'll yeah. let you know because we know, will. Deb's really good at tweeting that out. She, um, she's our official. I'm the Twitter liaison. She is. <laughs> Just don't ask me to go on Facebook because I'll say no. Never. Yep. All right, ladies. It was fun. Yep. It was. We'll see you guys soon or hear you or Have something like that. Have a good week. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.